You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Surprise. Good morning, Redemption. So um, I got a text from Brandon, the current lead pastor, uh, Friday afternoon saying, hey, uh, I think we might have a child on the way. And well, I mean, he knew he had a child on the way, but imminently. Um, it was not actually a surprise to him. Um, but hey, would you preach for me? And I said, uh, no. Um, yes, somehow I am here this morning. Um, as Jordan mentioned, uh, I'm one of the ones who helped start this church way back in the day, and I retired a year and a half ago. And so it is a very strange thing for me to be up here this morning, um, as uh, much as it's also a pleasurable thing. Um, I love redemption. My wife and I are still here every day, and now my uh, day-to-day duties are running finance for a home health care company, so uh, just a little bit different from this, so bear with me this morning. Um, as you know, with, I don't know, the, the darkness and the Christmas trees and the um, way that we frame this service, uh, we are in the midst of celebrating the four Sundays leading up to Christmas time, which is known as Advent. So these four Sundays, year after year after year, um, we take advantage of doing a couple of things at once. Um, One is uh, Christmas season is in full effect. You can't drive through the Galleria this time of year without sitting in traffic for um, many, many minutes. Um, You can't scroll past the Hallmark Movie Channel without sitting and wasting a couple of hours of your life um, seeing people fall in love in a small town. Um, so so we, we have that like cultural concept of joy um, on the one side. And then we have uh, the reality of the incarnation of the Son of God. Um, when God breaks into present reality, into this world, in order to start to redeem it, right? We're sitting here right on Timberside Drive, And this God breaks into our world, not to rescue us from Timberside Drive, not so that we escape Timberside Drive, but so that heaven comes to Timberside Drive. This is the magnificent truth at the heart of the universe. And every year we celebrate Christmas and there's the joy all around, which is maybe sometimes too thin, but absolutely a fantastic thing. And we try to enter into Um, a richer, fuller, more profound sense of that joy leading up to uh, Christmas. Um, But there's two other things that we do. One is we try to make space for the varied reality. Even in a church like Redemption, there um, are so many different varied realities week in and week out of who's joyous and who's not. 
whose Christmas is really easy to be gleeful and whose is weighty and heavy and hard. So we try to make space for that in our Advent service, um, in our Advent services and sermons. The other thing that we do is we try to remind ourselves of the reality that bridges those two camps, which is though Jesus has come, he is also coming again. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about like um, Jesus coming back. I, I'm not Tim LaHaye. I'm not Jerry B. Jenkins. I have never read the Left Behind uh, series. I've never even seen the Kirk Cameron ones. I think that's why I got fired from being a preacher here. I, um, like, ob- hopefully that's obvious that it's a joke. I was not fired. Um, I was tired. Um, but like, I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about those sorts of things. And yet, I think it's very important. And in the text that Chantal read for us already this morning, Jesus insists that we need to wait, that we need to look forward, that we need to be alert. And so we take advantage of the Christmas season with its coming joy by saying, what joy was it when God broke into history? What joy will it be again when God culminates his breaking into history and resurrects all the dead and fixes all that is wrong with the world? So um, here's my basic conviction this morning, Um, especially as somebody who's in the working world, uh, just in my day-to-day, I wake up on Monday, and I check, check bank account balances, and I check productivity reports, and I check like just my, my normal corporate day-to-day like many of you do. Um, and I find myself Sunday after Sunday coming in here um, needing something. Not needing something brand new, not needing something that I've never experienced before, but needing um, just a little boost, just a little kick, just a little reconnection, recommitment, re something with Jesus. I show up here every week um, a little bit expectant, a little bit hopeful, a little bit needy, and just like you, I'm there again this morning, hoping that there's some real hope, hoping that there's some real contact with God, hoping that I can find some sort of deep renewal in my heart and soul. Um, All of that is why I'm happy about this passage, and I'm happy about it being Advent. Because what Advent is going to remind us, and what this passage is eventually going to remind us, is that there is really hope. That more than there just being really hope, there's hope available to us now, and that the hope that is coming is profoundly different than we may have anticipated, and yet also orders of magnitude larger than we've ever dared dream, and is really fantastic. So whether you're coming in with a hard Christmas season ahead or you're coming in with a really easy Christmas season ahead, I hope that all of us can long for, wait for, look forward to the profundity of Advent. So I know Chantal read to us this morning, but I'm going to read again because I want to make a couple of comments as we do. So here in Mark chapter 13, we start in verse 24. Um, let, me set, let, let me set the stage just um, a tiny bit for us. What's, what's happened is the Gospel of Mark is one of the earliest documents that we have in the post-Jesus era in the New Testament church. Um, it is this gospel telling the good news of God's victory 
over the evil regime of the world. Now, when I say evil regime of the world, I'm not talking necessarily about Caligula and Nero. Um, more, I'm talking about the eternal forces of darkness, the, the forces of corruption that rot our bodies, that cause death, that cause decay, that are so all around us that sometimes it is impossible to imagine them not existing. The Gospel of Mark was written to assure us that Jesus was conquering all of these forces of evil and uh, snatching us out of the vice grip of death. So in this, um, Jesus has shown up. He has started casting out demons. He has started healing people. He has started telling his disciples that their way up is down, that their way to bigness is smallness, that their way to uh, eternal life is being joined with him in a death like his. They, they've been um, trying to reorient their minds around this wild man that is Jesus. And then he comes in chapter 13 here. We're jumping in in the middle of the longest speech that Jesus gives in the Gospel of Mark. He has pronounced uh, judgment on the temple complex, um, saying that all of the ways of uh, Israel in that moment that they were trying to approach God and worship God and be obedient to God were not enough, not good enough, not pure enough, not powerful enough that they needed God himself to come in and break into actual world history. Um, so Jesus starts off in verse 24 and says, um, so he then warns them that there's going to be a lot of suffering for his followers. He basically says, hey, you know that I suffered. You're also going to suffer, but don't worry. That's not really the end, right? Yeah, like there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be wars. And you think that has something to do with the end times, but nah, that ain't it yet. And then he jumps in and he says, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. So Jesus moves from like the realm of the ordinary, like suffering and awfulness of the world that like every year or every month or sometimes every week, we could look and say, maybe that's a sign of the end times. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's this earthquake. Maybe it's this war. Maybe no, he's like, no, no, after all of those sorts of things, there'll be lots of those sorts of things. But eventually in some sort of after, there will be a day when the sun itself will go dark and the moon will also not give its light. Although I'm not sure how scientifically accurate that is. Um, in, in any case, uh, and I'm teasing Jesus here. I hope he's a good sport. Um, the stars, verse 25, will be falling from heaven. The powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Now, I, I want to I point out that when he says the powers that are in the heavens, like the stars and the sun and the moon and like what we would call angels and demons, these, these powers is sometimes the New Testament euphemism for them in the ancient Near Eastern world. And this starts all the way back with the Canaanites and the worship of Baal and all of that that kind of forms our Old Testament context all the way through the Old Testament, which becomes our context for Jesus and the second temple period and Mark and his original audience, when he's saying, hey, the sun and moon and stars are going to fall and shake and be put out. Yes, indeed, the powers will be shaken. Those are two ways of saying the same thing. So Jesus might be speaking metaphorically about the sun going out, but he is speaking um, very really. If he's speaking metaphorically, it's not because he's speaking less real. 
Like, it's not because there's going to be less stuff that happens. It's because the stuff that happens might be so hard for us to comprehend and so hard to make concrete that all he can do is reach for metaphor and illusion. Something's big happening. After tribulation, then stuff is going to go wild. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Now, I'm not going to do this all morning. Um, I, I will actually speed up here in just a second. But let me, let me just point out um, what's happening here in this verse in verse 26 is they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. You do not need to know this, but the original audience knew this. Jesus knew this. Mark, who's writing this, knew this, that there's a um, particular verse in Daniel chapter 7, way back in the Old Testament, that prophesies this one who is a lot like God, who's a lot like the so-called ancient of days, who comes to God riding on the clouds in power and glory, who is called the Son of Man. So Jesus is claiming this title for himself, pronouncing something about his own eternal power, his divinity, his, his um, particular spot in the presence of God. Okay, so um, what I'm really trying to say here um, is Daniel matters for like really rich, deep, textual understanding of this passage, and so much of the rest of the Old Testament does too. It's really hard to understand anything Jesus is doing here without understanding Isaiah. Not to mention, wait, is Isaiah one author? Is it two? Is there Deutero-Isaiah? These scholars are so, like, you get, into, you get into all the weeds. And when was this written? What did it mean? And what was the context and all of that? So, so um, hopefully it'll be clear why I'm um, digging up all these um, uh, roots here in just a second. Um, but Jesus is referring very clearly to an Old Testament reference that he sees being fulfilled in himself in some sort of end times. Okay, so... Uh, just re-simple orientation, right? He said, hey, there's going to be lots of suffering. It's going to go bad for you guys. Um, but that's not the end. Eventually, sun, moon, stars, those are going to run out. The powers in the heavenly places are going to be shaken, and you will see the Son of Man, me, coming in the clouds with glory. Verse 27, then God will send, or uh, the Son of Man will send forth the angels, will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest of the earth, from the farthest of the heavens, now learn the parable from the fig tree. Get ready. You know that when it, um, you know by the fig tree that the summer is near. I'm paraphrasing now. Um, even so, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I say to you, verse 30, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, the word generation here is in the Greek, the word generation. Um, now, the reason that that's relevant is. Uh, generations do not live for thousands of years, surprising as this may be. Um, generations last 20 or 40 or, you know, if you're like being uh, exceptionally broad, maybe 100 years. But Jesus is saying, hey, there are people here hearing this in this generation who all this stuff that I'm saying about the sun and moon and stars going out and being shaken and the son of man coming in power and glory, you're going to see all of this. This generation isn't going to die until all of these end times things happen. No, not just the tribulation, but after the tribulation and the sufferings, all of this is going to come and happen. We'll get back and question Jesus more about this here in just a minute. Um, so truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, 
Keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. He then compares it to a rich man going away on a journey and leaving his gatekeeper um, in charge to be on alert. And so he says in verse 35, therefore, be on the alert. You do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening or in the middle of the night or when the rooster crows or in the morning, as if those were different things. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Okay, so we've got this major discourse. It's 37 verses. It is the longest speech of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Now, right after chapter 13 comes chapter 14. But in chapter 14 is um, where we start to really see, like, the end of Jesus' life. Like, Mark ends at the beginning of chapter 16, and, like, all the crucifixion and everything is there in chapter 15. And so, like, we are in the last days of Jesus, and he is going to give a farewell speech. I, I think farewell speeches are rather important, especially when you know it's a farewell speech. And if you're Jesus and you know you're about to die and you've been telling all of your followers, hey, I'm about to die, you don't understand my glory is going to come through me dying and not staying dead, but defeating death. Not just like renaming death of, oh, he's in a better place, but like defeating death. Death itself is dead. Like overcoming death with a new kind of life that will never die, that will put meat back on our bones, where our brains will fire again, where I'll have air in my lungs again. That's what I'm doing. And unless you make yourself small like me, you don't understand who God is and how true power in this universe really works. But Jesus has been teaching all of these things, forecasting his death, and then here at the last moment says, I need you to listen to something really important. And then he starts saying all this wild stuff about end times, about suffering, about sun and moon and stars, about them falling away. And then he, pro- he prophesies that this is all going to happen before that generation has come and gone. Although sitting here 2,000 years after the fact, it's really hard not to think that Jesus was wrong in that. Okay, now, um, hold up. Um, I didn't actually just say that Jesus was wrong. Maybe we misunderstood him. Or, or maybe, so, so um, there's, there's all sorts of like nuance and stuff that we could dig into here. And uh, I don't care about that. Right. I do sort of care about that, but I don't care about that enough to like preach to you on that. And I don't think most of y'all care about that enough to have shown up here this morning for that. Here's part of the reason I don't care about that. I, I do care about truth, but... Um, in the history of the church in the 2,000 years since Jesus, one of the most argued about passages is this right here. Um, I can tell you what the arguments are. We can go into all sorts of detail. If you want resources and such, I can give you um, sides of both. But, but there, there's going to be some people who are saying, no, 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 we just misunderstood. And Jesus was not talking about anything in the future. Jesus was only talking about the fact that within a sh- couple short decades after his um, life and death and resurrection, there was going to be, um, Jerusalem would be toppled again and the temple itself would be destroyed. And this historically happened in the year 70 AD. Temple is just raised, it's just destroyed. Um, There's one side of the equation that says, no, Jesus is just talking about the temple being destroyed. Um, And there's lots of interpreters who think this. But the other interpreters say, "But, but wait, he just said like, this is going to be changes in the heavenly places and that we are going to see the Son of Man coming in glory. Right? It have, was that what happened in 70 AD when Rome destroyed the temple? Like, that doesn't seem exactly like Jesus coming in glory, like us seeing the Son of Man presented to the Father or coming to the earth because they kind of go different directions. He goes one direction in Daniel, he goes one direction in Mark. Anyway, um, not to go into all that. But like, really what's happening, and there's, there's some arguments on this side of well, whatever happened in 70 AD might have sort of fit this, but doesn't really entirely fully fit. 
And then we get into questions about, well, Jesus says that he doesn't understand, but I thought he knew all things. How can he know all things and not know this? And so then there's like different people who say, well, he was really just kind of like saying, I don't know, wink, wink. And what he really meant by that was, I'm not going to tell you. And like, this is actually what like Augustine says is Jesus just kind of like lied here. Ah, white lie. Um, or there's like Athanasius um, who said, you know, um, he, he, he knew certain things in his divinity, but he would withhold in his limitation from his humanity. He would hold, withhold some of that certain knowledge from his whole self. And like, there's, there's all sorts of arguments here about was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus lying? Is Jesus limited? Is Jesus God? Like what in the world? And there's all sorts of perspectives here. And I just don't have the capacity to honestly solve that question for everyone in here um, or even myself. So then why would Jesus and Mark make this chapter such a center point of the gospel of Mark? Why is this the longest speech he gave if we hear the speech and we're like, what in the world is he talking about? There's more nuanced views who are like, well, you know how in like old school landscape paintings, like there's the road and the houses up front and then the mountains in the back, but they're all just kind of squashed together. Like sometimes biblical prophecy is that way. And the things just get squashed together that are actually really far separated. And so there's part of this that's up front. And there's part of it that's in behind. And when he's talking about all these things, he doesn't really mean all these things, all these things. He means all kinds of these things. And, or maybe he's talking about generations and he means like the generations of, I don't know. So, so we have all sorts of like nuances and complexities and further explanations that we can wander off into wacky land about. Not to say that any of those in particular are wacky, but um, here's my thing. Why does Jesus talk about this if his followers for the next 2,000 years were just going to argue about what in the world he meant or might have meant? Especially since one of the things that everybody seems to agree on is the meaning of, of that day or hour, no one knows. Like, you may have your charts and your end times and your graphics and your, like, date picked when you're on, like, TBN or something. Um, but what are you talking about? Like, you have no idea. Don't just change your chart. Don't just amend your chart. Edit your chart. Redact your chart. No, no, like, destroy your chart. Like, nobody knows. So if he's saying you can't really understand all of this and you're not going to know exactly how this is happening, then what is the point of all of this? It seems that the point is rather simple, yet rather important. It seems that his repeated insistence that we wait with alertness might actually be his point. Right, and I don't mean to sound pedantic here. Um, yeah, I, I think sometimes we get so like wrapped up in all the stuff that just doesn't do us any good, and we miss like the glaringly bright, obvious things that are right in our face in the text. Jesus says, wait, 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 wait. You're not going to understand, but there's important stuff coming. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Be alert. Stay awake. Do not go to sleep. Do not trail off. Wait. Now, the interesting thing about this waiting, well, so let, let me go back to that. Um, can, can I just say um, that basically, uh, 
the entire church everywhere always has believed a couple of things about Jesus. Um, and that's kind of how we decide, like, who's a church and who's not. It's not like um, fights about secondary issues. Secondary issues can be really important and they can infect, uh, affect our lives in really important ways. And they, people can use the secondary issues to, like, wound us in deep and profound ways. So I do care about the secondary issues. But it's the primary issues that, like, really determine are we, like, Christian or are we not? Not are we good Christians or bad Christians, right? One of the primary issues is, like, the divinity of Jesus. One of the primary issues is, like, is God, like, really God? Another of the primary issues is I take it to be in the Council of in like the Nicene Creed, is that Jesus is coming again and his, his kingdom will have no end. He's coming again in glory. His kingdom will have no end. We await his return and resurrection uh, from the dead and life of the age to come. Like these are two different sections in the Nicene Creed that like whatever we may joke about the Left Behind series and the goofy movies and all, all of like the, the fear and chaos that that caused in some of our homes and churches uh, a couple of decades ago. Um, nevertheless, like Jesus is really coming back. And to me, that seems an inarguable conviction of the church. Now, if that's not where you are this morning, like that's, that's fine. You're more, you're more than welcome here. I just want to tell you that's, that's where I am and that's my conviction. And if you want, I'll happily like um, explain why I think that's true and why I think that's reasonable and why I think that's really good news, which is actually part of what I'm doing this morning is why it's really good news. But here's, here's my, my question. Um, we can't help but wait why command us to wait? If Jesus is saying, hey, I'm doing something remarkable. I can do it. You cannot. You have no influence over it. You have no control over it. You have no input on it. You don't know when it's happening. Just wait. Then it seems to me like we have to wait whether he tells us to wait or not. We have to wait whether we want to or not. We have to wait whether we wait well or not. We just have to wait. But maybe it's the case that when we wait well, we wait differently. Maybe it's also the case that when we wait well, we change the world around us. When we wait with expectant, deep, profound hope, it changes our inner selves. It changes our experience of the world. It changes other people's experience of us. Now, the um, front page of our website uh, says, radically inclusive hope for absolutely anyone. Welcome to redemption. I think those are really fantastic words. I don't know who wrote those, but... um, (laughs) Right, so almost every one of you guys showed up knowing... The Redemption Church was all about hope. Which begs the question, what in the world is hope? Is that just like um, rosy optimism? I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to be fine. Or look at the bright side of life. Monty Python playing in a couple of y'all's old people heads right now. Um, or is it something more real than that? I've always needed and insisted maybe in self-serving ways, but I also think in true ways, that hope is more than just empty positivity. That hope is concrete expectation that Jesus is good, 
that he really delights in us, that he really longs for us, that he's really available to us, that he's actually fixing all of this, and that something is historically true about his message. Not just historically true in the past, but historically true in the future and by linearity, also historically true in the present, or continuity. Um, take it back to calculus class. Um, if hope means that something is really profoundly actually true in this reality, in this world, about my access to God, about his showing up for me and with me, that's the kind of hope that can get me through the day. That's the kind of hope that can get me through the hard stuff. That's the kind of hope that is better than like, okay hope. That's the kind of hope that's better than the materialistic, consumeristic, selfish hope that honestly I don't want to just kill because I want to kill hope. I want to kill because it's not good enough hope. Right, so sometimes I'm really cynical about like Hallmark Channel or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, But like, really I think there's something for us to learn from our culture about joy, about positivity, about happiness, about togetherness, about family, about light, about future, about expectation. Now, I think theirs is too thin. I think theirs is too vague. I think ours is more historical, more real, more powerful. But if their hope is pretty good, ours blows it out of the water. It's orders of magnitude better than we had ever heard before. So here's basically what I want to say before I wrap up here. Is I am convinced that Jesus tells us to stay alert, to stay awake, to wait in this special sense for our own good. Take a second. What was your week like? Um, In a lot of ways, my past year... Sorry, uh, Redemption, since I retired. Um, But, like, my last year has been one of the best years of my life. (laughs) Sometimes I wake up and I'm just like, God, it's good to be me. No, um, but I do do wake up and say, God, it's good to be alive. Um, I just have, like, uh, real joy in my wife. We got a new baby this year six-month-old. Like, um, I am enjoying my job. I'm using parts of, like, my skill set and my background and my personality that I hadn't used in a really long time, and it's going relatively well. Like, so in a lot of ways, um, and, I, and I still maintain, like, deep relationships with people, and I still um, long for, like, mystical union with God. Uh, the, the habits and rhythms of that are very different than when this was my job. Um, nevertheless, it's been, like, a really good year in a lot of ways. Despite that, um, Man, I had a stressful week. Uh, there, there were worse kinds of stressful weeks. Um, but there, there, were, there were some things that happened, honestly, in my work life this week where I'm just like, Jesus, why are things so broken? Like, I am doing this right. Why is this person messing with me? Why are they just, like, breaking it? I, like, have followed the law. I've followed the letters of the law. I've followed, like, the, like, I just, I've done everything well. Why is this such a mess. Make that guy pay me. Um, ah, sorry. This just is what it is. Um, I think maybe waiting 
for me in this, in this kind of moment. And, and maybe yours is very different. Maybe, maybe you're waiting like, because you've lost a loved one. Or maybe you're waiting because like, um, like just the things that you need in life are just like outside of your reach. Or maybe you're waiting because the things that you always want in life are now within your reach and they're deeply dissatisfying. Or however you're waiting, maybe, maybe there's some concrete way that like me, you're waiting. But I'm, I'm, I'm literally praying this week, God, why is this still so hard? I guess and it's a relatively inconsequential thing, but I was really frustrated about this this week. Why is waiting so hard? And as I reflected in the past 36 hours, thanks for the heads up, Brandon. But as I reflected on this passage for this morning, I realized that waiting changes my inner turmoil, whether there's actually external turmoil or there's not. So Jesus just said, after some very hard things, after some suffering, there is going to be a disintegration of the space-time universe. Right? The sun and moon, the way you keep your calendars, it's going to go away. Which in the cosmology of Mark in the Old Testament, as I already mentioned, is probably a very good thing because it's Jesus' victory over the chaos. And then the Son of Man comes in glory. Since so I reflect on my waiting and I reflect on the turmoil within me and around me, I realize that if Jesus told us that the world might disintegrate and nevertheless, the world's disintegration was not evidence of Jesus' judgment of me or us, his abandonment of me or us, or the chaos of the world somehow triumphing over of Jesus as if his plan wasn't going to come to fruition. If he told me all of this was going to happen and he told me that this was going to be a sign of his coming, of his glory, of his goodness, of his presence, then all of a sudden my perspective is radically changed. Okay, God, I still need this thing to work out. Please make it work out. I'm a little stressed, but also, God, you can be with me in this. You can be with me in the waiting. You can be with me in the frustration. You can be with me in the fighting. You can be with me in the practicalities of my job. And, and really, so I, I bring that up because, because I'm convinced that if God can be with me in something so inconsequential as running finances for a corporation, then certainly he can be with me in my marriage, in my friendships, in my despair, in my depression, in my hope, in my joy, in my retirement planning, in, in all of my things of normal human life. If sometimes the disintegration of the space-time continuum is proof of his victory as he remakes the cosmos, then I can wait and I can hope. Maybe I can even hope with bright, joyous hope that even though the earth is giving way beneath my feet, even though the awful, immovable forces of brokenness seem to be prevailing against me once again, God is not against me. He's for me. God is not far from me. He's with me, and he will be with me, and he is available to me even now. I think there's something along these lines that's true even when your inner world isn't in turmoil. Maybe when your, your personal external world isn't in turmoil, but maybe when you're just fed up with the way that the world is because you don't really wholly want it to be that way. So I think when I wait in a certain way, it changes my inner turmoil, whether there's external turmoil or not. 
I think when I wait in the way that Jesus wants me to, it challenges me and stretches my expectation of joy, as I've repeated multiple times, by orders of magnitude. Y'all imagine um, being at like the birth of Jesus? Like being one of the shepherds, and all of a sudden there's this good news of great joy that's for all the peoples, and you're like, wow. Like, the birth of a child is a miraculous, beautiful, amazing thing in general. In any case, the birth of a long prophesied child, I imagine, is even better. And the birth of a long prophesied child who is God in the flesh is like, lose your mind for joy good. Do you all understand that though none of us were there, my some of y'all are pretty old, but not that old. Although, although none of us were there at that most joyous moment of Jesus' birth. Do y'all understand that what Jesus is telling us is that what we are waiting for is something even better than that? When he comes back in real power and in real glory, in real fixing to like culminate, to consummate, to finish all of the stuff that he started, What we are waiting on is not Santa joy. What we are waiting on is not easy life joy. What we are waiting on is not getting rich joy. What we are waiting on is life with God forever and ever and ever. I need no more sun or moon because I have the brilliant radiance of Jesus. That kind of joy is what we are waiting for. And when I wait in the way that Jesus is challenging me to wait, I deal with the turmoil of life better, even before I realize that what I'm waiting for is unimaginably good, uh, orders of magnitude better than honestly even still I've ever imagined. Right, I can hoot and holler up here for a long time, and uh, those of you who have been at Redemption for a long time, like know that that's the truth. Um, I could hoot and holler up here for a long time about this magnitude of the radiance of the glory of God showing up being way better than we could imagine. And in ranting and raving, like I would be imagining and stretching my imagination. Nevertheless, however long I went on about it, it would still be the case that the reality of the thing is still then going to be orders and orders of magnitude better than our weak, shady imaginings of the thing. I want that kind of waiting. I want that kind of waiting to remake my heart. I want that kind of waiting to remake my purpose in life. I want that kind of waiting to provide all the perspective. I want that kind of waiting to change my table. Right, Redemption's in the middle of this uh, year at the table. They kicked off in August or September where the whole next um, year until the next school year starts. Um, Basically, Brandon and the pastoral team here um, as they lead the church are encouraging us to open up our tables for each other, and for our neighbors. Because God is the God of the table, because that's exactly what he does with us. This was one of Jesus' favorite activities, is eating with people, like opening up the real, mundane, nitty-gritty, actually human, beautiful, loving thing of your dinner table. 
I'm convinced that when we wait in this way, when we wait in a world that changes our inner turmoil, regardless of external external turmoil, I'm, I'm convinced that when we wait in such a way that we start to wait in bigger and bigger ways for bigger and bigger hope with more and more expectation of the reality of the goodness of the thing that is coming, I'm convinced that this will become a bright, shining light within us. I'm convinced that it will do away with so much of the insecurity and the judgmentalness that keeps us from opening ourselves to the people around us because our inner turmoil and the external turmoil have made us very deeply unpleasant people to be around. I think part of the thing that made the early church so compelling and so beautiful was its love. But what is all of this if not another description, another illustration of the love that Jesus has for us and will put within us? Maybe this kind of waiting, this Advent, as we think about the waiting that Israel was doing, awaiting the long um, forecast and prognosticated Messiah, maybe that sort of waiting as we await the Messiah's return in glory can change our inner being so much so that we can have the kinds of beautiful relationships that I know I long that I know if I had, so much of the rest of the life would just fall into place. Would seem so much more inconsequential. Finally, um, let me point out that if we wait in this way, changing our inner turmoil regardless of our external turmoil, that's expanding our horizons of what our hope is, that's changing our table, do you know that what Jesus promise would happen has actually started to happen see he says this weird thing where he says hey I, I tell you that the heavens and earth are going to pass away and I tell you that even if they pass away my word will not pass away so he like starts to compare and contrast like his word and the present state of the chaos of like the brokenness of the world that somehow those are at odds and he basically says my word is going to win. My word's going to be the one that is standing at the end of all things. And you start to have suspicion for a variety of reasons that I can't go into right now. But you start to have some suspicion. Is Jesus trying to say that his word is going to bring about the end of the chaos? And I think that's true. But I also think that that's true in a way that you and I can start to live. That if we will live with this kind of deep, well-within-us hope, that God is with us, that he is for us, that he has not abandoned us, that he is coming again, that this world is not the way that it should be, but that doesn't mean that it's always going to be this way. If we have this hope that God came and that he is still here in a profound and real way and he's coming in an even more real and more profound way, if we have this kind of hope and it starts to change the way we deal with our neighbors, then don't y'all understand that that is beginning to triumph over the present darkness our hatred, our suspicion, our fractured lives and neighborhoods. So let me wrap up by calling us back to this thing that I've already repeated several times. Christmas. Hurrah. Advent. Hurrah is coming. Hurrah is a little here. More hurrah is coming. More hurrah is coming. 
But do you know, even as more Hurrah is coming, and I, like I told you, I'm absolutely convinced that this is a historical, real, actionable fact. It is a claim on the history of the world in the future. Even as much as I'm convinced of that, I am also 100% convinced that the God of the universe has made himself available to you in this moment. That's what we do every Sunday when we show up, is we live with a little bit of hope that maybe it's true once again. Maybe God will show up as we read his word, as we sing songs to him, as we practice communion with him and with each other, maybe God will show up. It's the only reason that it's worth coming back every week. I'm convinced that God is available to you here and now. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what you're still doing, I am convinced that the God of the universe like deeply and warmly and affectionately likes you and is proud of you, and is happy with you, and wants to be joined with you forever and ever and ever. Amen. I'm convinced that this is true every Sunday morning, and I am convinced that it is the reality that we are being invited into every Monday and every Tuesday and every Wednesday and Thursday, and you know the days of the week. every hour of your life, even if you've forgotten him, even if you're far from him, even if you're not quite sure how to sense him, the God of joy, the God of hope, the God of light, the God who is himself love wants to know and be with you. We've seen this in Christmas This is the eruption. This is the earthquake. This is the inbreaking of our joyous, gracious God into this very world. We ourselves are going to witness it next time. We ourselves are called to participate in it even here and now. That's why Jesus says, stay awake. Stay alert. Do not give up your hope. God has come to us in Jesus. Jesus is coming again in power and glory. We have already begun to glimpse his power and glory. He has already begun to make his power and glory available to us through his spirit in his church, in this world, here and now, in this Advent season. Merry freaking Christmas. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.